You got to accentuate the positive. Wow! I feel good. A little bit of feel good goes a long way. Welcome to ATP Radio. I'm your host, Karen Swain, teacher of deliberate creation, showing you how to accentuate the positive, the way to a better life. Your radio station is an example of the future existing right now. Hello and welcome to another hour accentuating the positive here on Soul Traveller Radio. I'm your host, Karen Swain. I'm a teacher of deliberate creation, a channel and a medium, channeling wisdom from my guides and broader perspective whom I've called blissful beings. On Accentuate the Positive, you'll hear conversations with open hearts and inspired minds. It's my intent to put more love out through our media. It's so important to have a media diet that uplifts you, empowers you, and reminds you of who you really are, instead of a lot of the media that we get that puts you in fear. So this is why I present the show. I've got some wonderful guests lined up for you. Please subscribe and support positive media you can stay up to date with the show on accentuate the positive radio with karen swain on facebook or go to karenswain.com and you'll see most of the podcasts there hi how you going karen swain here this video is about me Gertrude Marche from Write a Book in 40 Hours has interviewed me about a specific part of my story about dealing with the death of loved ones and communicating with them from beyond. Hope you enjoy this interview. Hi, this is Gertrude Marche here in Auckland, New Zealand for a change. And today I'm going to be interviewing a very good friend of mine by the name of Karen Swain. Karen is based in Sydney, Australia. And she is a teacher of deliberate creation for the difference makers. Welcome, Karen. Hi, Gertrude. How are you? Thank you for being the first person I'm interviewing for the series of articles that are going to be inspiring women worldwide in terms of telling our personal stories and, and sharing who we are, what challenges, what experiences we've been through. So I'm going to start off by you just introducing yourself, you know, where you're from, where you grew up and what has been your main life experience? <laughs> That's a big question, Gertrude. That's a very big question. You know, I think the power of story is the most powerful story we have as humans to learn and to remember. And like you, I love sharing people's stories because it is our stories that teach really that teach others because we're all a story right we're all on a story we're all trying to navigate this fabulous third dimensional life and I started asking those questions when I was very young because my mother was sick with cancer when I was a young girl about 11 12 she got sick and most kids are thinking about what's in life for me how can I get the boyfriend how can I be popular how can I buy the music that was on my mind like any other teenage kid but mum's illness and her journey with cancer and her grief at thinking she was going to die because she wasn't spiritual or religious at all so she didn't know where she was going when she was going to die it inspired those questions in me like yeah like who where do we go when we die and who are we if we go somewhere when we die where do we come from so I started to think about all this when I was really young because 
my spiritual upbringing was I went to a Catholic school for a while and I said to my mom, what am I going to do about all that religious stuff, mom? And she said, I oh, just ignore it, darling. <laughs> that was my spiritual upbringing, you know. So I didn't have those questions in my mind like who are we? But I did have a lot of questions and her death or her illness, her journey through illness and cancer inspired so many more questions like why do we get sick? What creates health? How can we not get sick? Watching someone suffering is such a great way of looking for solutions, looking for answers. And that was my life quest to have those questions answered. You know, who are we? Where do we go when we die? Where do we come from? And how do we have a good life? You know, how do we not get sick and die of cancer? So, wow. yeah. So how, how did you navigate that world at such an early age? What are the insights that you got about death in, in observing your mother's passing? Cancer is an issue that is affecting people worldwide. Yeah, yeah. Well, at an early age, oh, you know, it was a slow awakening, get through. It was a very slow awakening because I was still navigating being on this planet as a 16-year-old without any parental guidance, navigating how to support myself and get a job. and But along that journey, those questions were so... I just stuck my head in books, lots and lots and lots of books. And I was alone in my research because none of my friends or my peers or my family or anyone around me at the time was asking those questions. No one was asking those questions, but I read a lot of books and I I can't tell you the first one I picked up, but I do remember I went up to Hamilton Island when I was about 20 and got a job up there, which is an island up here on the Sundays. And I was in a bar one night and a boy was chatting me up and I kind of looked at him and I thought, nah, he's not that cute. You know, I don't think I want anything to do with him. But he said he had one of those little golf buggies that drove around the island, right? And he said, do you want to come for a ride on my golf buggy? And I'm like, Yeah. <laughs> So we got on the golf buggy and zoomed around the island because as staff, I wasn't supposed to use those golf buggies. So I was like, yeah, I get to ride on the golf buggy. And he said, do you want to come up to my room? And I thought, no, not really. But something in me said, just go and, you know, deal with what happens when you get up there. Not, not the brightest idea. But anyway, I got upstairs and on his coffee table was a book by Shirley MacLaine and it said Dancing in the Light. And I looked down at this book and I thought it was about dancing. So I said, oh, a book, you know, Dancing in the Light. And I was a dancer at the time. So I said, that looks interesting. What's that about? And he said, let me make you a drink. Go out on the balcony and I'll tell you all about it. So we sat out on his balcony on Hamilton Island in the moonlight and he started to tell me about Shirley MacLaine's journey and her spiritual awakening. Have you ever read or seen any of her movies? No, I haven't. Well, she was very famous for talking to aliens and talking to dead people and, and having, you know, channels come to her home and channel. And her spiritual exploration is all documented in her books and in her movies. She made a movie out on a limb. And it was my foray into expanding that awareness and understanding more fully who I am. It was really part of the beginning. So I read her books consecutively back to back, like I devoured them. I couldn't stop. I just devoured them. And then that, in, that inspired more questions. So as I was navigating money, boys, life, shoes, ego, I was still reading these books, like who am I and where do I come from? It was a fascinating ride. It was a slow ride. I think today with the shift that's happening in our life, I'm speaking to a lot of people on my show because, as you know, I've got a a show where I interview people's stories, people are waking up really 
quickly. They didn't, they're not as slow as me. Like some people, bang, someone dies, someone shoots themselves, their spirit guide, you know, stops them in the street and bang, they're awake to, uh, and yeah, amazing, amazing how quickly it's happening now. But for me, it was a slow process. It was a slow inquiry, a slow process. But understanding who we are and where we come from was the biggest question. And that is the beauty that death gives us, like, it stops us in our tracks. It stops us thinking about how can I pay the bills and who likes me and how can I be successful? It stops us and it starts to inspire like who am I and why am I here? So where, where did it take you from there in terms of your own spiritual journey and the work that you're doing now? I suspect I was just researching, 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 and as a young girl confused about what I was here to do, that was the biggest question, like, who am I and what am I here to do? And, you know, the ego gets in the way when your your guide says, like your inner being says, you're a spiritual teacher or you're a spiritual guide because your ego says, I can't teach anybody, I can't help myself, let alone help anybody else. So I had many psychics say to me things like that, you're a spiritual teacher, and I just said, crap you know (laughs) I had to get over my ego and my ego is that negative self-talk that pulls you down that talks you down that says you can't help anybody and I a girlfriend when I was in my early 20s was doing a weekend massage course and she said look I can't do this course do you want the course and I said not interested in it at all and she said oh come on please I've paid for it and you can do it and you don't have to pay and and I thought oh yeah all right something to do on the weekend and the guy that was doing the course was in the corporate world before he became a massage teacher of massage and he and his wife had left the corporate world to teach healing and massage and they seemed really happy and really fulfilled and I remember looking at this couple thinking they've got the answer to something they've got an answer to a question I didn't know I had but getting into the corporate world and climbing the corporate ladder and making lots of money to buy the that didn't seem like my plan or my, that didn't seem like something I wanted to do. Right. So I started to investigate a natural healing. That was my foray into understanding life better, I suppose. And I embarked on a full-time naturopathic course for five years studying all types of modalities, studying massage and homeopathy and herbs and symptomatology and diagnosis and anatomy and physiology. Interestingly enough, I refused to study the sciences so we had chemistry and I refused to study chemistry saying I don't know what chemistry has to do with healing (laughs) my poor teacher my poor teacher said it doesn't matter what you think it's part of the curriculum if you don't do it you'll fail and it was so interesting I was so stubborn I didn't want to do it but something inside me said you know, the healing arts are more about an intuitive, creative thing than a headspace. Yes. Allopathic medicine is all about working out symptoms and working out drugs that match. It's a very headspace modality, whereas natural medicine is more of an intuitive, listening to your guidance, listening to your body, listening to your heart's desires. And I knew that as a young girl. I didn't know why I knew that, but I knew that. So after five years full-time naturopathy, I opened a furniture shop because I didn't see anything that was going to change the world. I just thought there were more questions. There's more to this. There's more to this. I have to explore more. I started massaging people and that's when a whole lot of information was coming up about people. When I put my hands on people, 
I could see their past lives. I could read their thoughts. I could know their deepest desires and their deepest fears. And that was kind of freaky because I didn't know what was happening. So again, more questions were like, what is going on? So I'm mid to late 20s at this stage. And again, I was asking questions like, what's happening? So I started doing a whole lot of energy healing workshops. I did uh, pranic healing and theta healing and Reiki. I did Reiki during the, the naturopathic days. Again, answering questions, answering questions like who are we and what are we doing here? And that ability to read energy was something I needed to explore more. And that, that's what happens to us when we ask those questions. You know that, Getty, your intuition just starts to expand. <laughs> <laughs> something in, something yeah. So if you were to help someone who is on a similar journey as as you have gone on, in hindsight, in terms of getting to this point that you are now, what would your advice be? Well, it's interesting. As I say, people are waking up a lot quicker than I did. And my advice would be to anyone is to trust, trust what you know. Trust what you know outside of what anyone tells you or any book tells you or what society says. Like trust your intuition, trust your guidance. Because I think my journey was so slow because I didn't trust it. I just didn't trust the messages that I was getting because my ego got in the way all the time saying, who do you think you are? You can't do that. You, you can't help people. You, you know, start, you think you're so good. You, my, just this negative self-talk was just bombarding me and I listened to that and not to my heart and as I've gone through this journey I've learned to trust that inner guidance because I do that with everything now I do that in every conversation I do that with every interview I do that in my sessions I found out that I've got a mob of beings that talk to me in spirit so I call them blissful beings I used to call them the mob I used to call them my common sense (laughs) I would have questions and I would get answers and I'd be like, ah, that makes sense. I had the sense that I was talking to a group, a mob, a faceless, no personality, no identity, just a group, a mob of beings, a mob of something that was talking to me and through me. Follow, follow the sun, which way the wind blows, when this day is done. what has she experienced and, and how have you dealt with that obviously these beings have been communicating with you let's, let's just roll back to the first time you had an awareness of it okay the first time I really started to listen to my guidance was during the time when I was reading the book conversation with God by Neil Donald Walsh so in that book there is two people talking. There's the ego and then the higher self. So there's Neil and God. He's called his, you know, guidance God. Yes. His broader perspective, his wisdom, whatever you want to call it. And that was fascinating for me, that book, because there was the ego that says, oh, that's rubbish, you know, that critical mind, that questioning mind. And then there was the God aspect answering the questions. And as I read that book, 
more questions were inspired in me and my God aspect answered them. So I would read Neil's questions and, and, and God's answers in the book and then I'd put down the book and I would have my questions and my answers come at the same time. And I got very clear to that guidance that it was very visceral and very real because what it was telling me was beyond anything I was reading in any book because the questions I was asking were my questions. They were not Neil's questions. And the answers that were coming were answers to my questions. So they weren't in the books. And that was really fascinating to see how that was happening. So I started thinking, I need to explore this with other people. I want to join a group of people that are reading this book. I want to talk about my experience. I want to reach out and touch people who are having my experience because, again, it was just me in the bedroom with my books alone and I felt very isolated. So, yes. I, so I started to look for groups and I couldn't find any. So I started my own group and I, every Tuesday night I just had a little group. I invited people into my home to discuss the concepts in Conversations with God which was really about being a deliberate creator, how, how you flow your thoughts, how you flow your energy, how your thoughts create. And people would turn up and sit and stare at me and wait for me to teach. And I said, I'm not here to teach anybody. I'm here to discuss. I'm here to ask some more questions. But people kept looking at me as I, because I was holding the group that I would be the one that was going to teach them. And I started to scratch my head and think... <laughs> something's going on here <laughs> so again my guidance was saying you're the teacher and my ego saying I'm nobody's teacher I'm just the question asker <laughs> oh wow and again one of the people that came to the group was a dear friend called Paul who's since transitioned and he said you know there are other groups out there that are exploring these concepts and I said great let's go find them so we went out and explored a few different groups people channeling and all sorts of things and I hit upon a group called the Academy of Light where a teacher was invited every week and we'd have a meditation and we'd hear this teacher and they'd talk about chakras or they'd talk about healing or they talk about spiritual concepts and I soon became the facilitator for a, I was so fascinated I soon became the facilitator for Academy of Light because it's funny because a lot of psychics had said to me as a young girl I see you standing in front of lots of people talking and my ego again was saying oh my god I could never do that I terrifies me <laughs> So would you say that you became the accidental teacher? It's <laughs> <laughs> just fell in your lap. No, it wasn't accidental. It was planned. I mean, spirit planned it from the very, from the get-go. I just had to get with the program. But, you know, I had to stop listening to my ego telling me I couldn't. You know that part of you that says, actually, Getty, you've kind of overcome that part. I've never met anybody more that goes, I can and not I can't. But that part of you that says, I can't, I can't, I'm too overwhelmed, I'm too stressed, I'm not enough, I'm not good enough, I can't do that, I can't have that, I can't. I can't, I can't. That's the ego that says you can't. And spirit says, you can. You came here to do this. This is your calling. This is your plan. Oh, listen, wow. Listen to that. And you're pretty good at listening to that. But we all have that I can't, you know, that little voice that says I can't. But we have to listen to the I can and know who we are. It, you know, it takes courage to be who you said you want we designed this before we came. We said, I'm going to get 
me down there and I'm going to wake up some people. <laughs> I'm going to remind them of who they are. I'm going to put them on a video and tell their story, you know, like, yeah, you've got to listen to the I can and not the I can't. Yeah. Wow. So, so tell me a few anecdotes of how spirit has guided you and, and where you have found yourself in, in places that you could not have dreamt or scripted and people that you've met. Give me a few of little anecdotes there. You know, there's so many, but I remember when my daughter was very young, uh, I think she was about seven, we moved into an, a small apartment. I was a single mum at the time and I was overwhelmed and in stress and overwhelmed as we were moving all that furniture, you know, into this tiny little apartment. And she was in her bedroom, you know, she was actually quite excited about having a new bedroom, fossicking around, and I was stressed to the max and thinking, I'm all alone, nobody, you know, the, the stress that, the one that gets me the most is, nobody's supporting me, I'm all alone, I haven't got any help. <laughs> but that was huge in my awareness, that thought form was huge in my awareness, and I was stressed to the max. I'm a single mum, poor me, I was doing the poor me pity party, and a cupboard fell down. And she was screaming in her bedroom. She was not hurt in any way. but And I walked in and I was so stressed. I just wanted to scream at her like, what are you doing? Because I was screaming in my head, no one's here to help me. I'm doing this all myself. I'm all alone. And I wanted to scream that at her, this poor little precious child. And I could see her distress. Right. And in, in the midst of my distress, something overwhelmed me and said, soothe her care for her like don't take your stress out on her she's a mm -hmm. child she's a child she's a child you're the adult and it was very real even in the midst of my stress and I remember listening to it and wanting to argue with it but 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 what about me but what about me but what about me but I remember calming her down and soothing her and saying, it's all going to be okay. It's all going to be fine. doesn't matter about the cupboard. We'll get the cupboard fit. And she started to calm down and we started to get happy and talk and giggle again. And <laughs> I felt better and she felt better and we went to bed and we had this blissful night surrounded by chaos. And I remember <laughs> sitting in bed and just feeling that unbelievable awareness of how when you help another when you soothe another, when you're there for another, you help yourself. You calm yourself down. You get over your own stress. You get over yes. your own, because my head was screaming, like, poor me. And when I was soothing her, that poor me left me. And I became the teacher instead of the victim. And it was palpable. I remember just sitting in bed, feeling this bliss as I had helped her and she had, you know, felt better and we calmed down and we started to think about our future and it's going to be great in this new house and everything's going to be fine and we started to tell a new story of this is terrible to this is great and just feeling the palpable, you know, the reality of the shift in focus, of the shift in energy, of the shift in thinking and how it felt and how the world seemed bright again after living in a storm. It seemed like I was in daisies and roses and sunshine. And knowing, just having that really visceral lesson that this is what, this is what I've been reading about in all these books. This is what they're talking about. You know, you have to apply it. You can't read about it. You have to apply it in the midst of your stress, in the midst of your, I can't do this. You've got to shift that focus. And reaching out 
to help another is just the best way to do that. You touched on something that I think is really pivotal in terms of who you are and, and, and how you live your life. You talked about energy and how to use and manipulate energy. This is something that not a lot of people are good at, are aware of the power that they have in choosing how to play with energy, correct? Absolutely. It's the crux of what my mob teach through me, what what all great spiritual teachers think. It's, you know, there's that fabulous movie, The Da Vinci Code, and they talk about God's power here on earth. And I remember turning to my husband at the time and saying, what's God's power here on earth? And he goes, I don't know. It's the power to choose thought. It's the power to shift focus. It's the power to change your mind and get out of those stressful thoughts because thought holds energy and the more you stress the less energy you hold a stressful thought pinches your power off and a positive thought or a loving thought or a helpful thought opens your vortex of flowing energy and that's how we create we flow our energy and we flow our energy through what we think and feel so what we think creates a vibration and we feel that vibration as emotion energy in motion so that negative emotion that stressful thinking like I can't do this is an indication that you're pinching off your access to your power and that joy I love you this is great this is fantastic isn't like fabulous those thoughts that feeling opens you basically it opens you to your source it opens you to energy it opens you to life God the universe all of it and so learning how to navigate that, how to be deliberate in how you flow your energy. That's why I call myself a teacher of deliberate creation. It means that you get to create the world you want on purpose. So you get to be deliberate in how you flow your energy. And that's listening to how you feel. And then when you feel bad, when you have a stressful thought, challenge it. Like, I can't do this. I can't do this. When you challenge, is that true? No, I can't do this. I can't. Is that true? No, I can't. can't. Do you absolutely know that's true? Well, no, I don't absolutely know. See, once you challenge a thought, you destabilize it. And when it's not stable, it doesn't have a hold over you anymore. And those stressful thoughts, they can take a hold of you, you know. Yeah. We all yeah. know that. We're all human. We've all had them. And we believe them to be our truth. And the truth is that they're not our truth. Our truth is love. Our truth is pure positive energy. Our truth is connection. Our truth is love. Our truth is service. That's our truth. And when we're not believing our truth, when we're believing our stressful thoughts, we're not living in our truth. We're not living our dharma, our life purpose. We're not living who we came to be. So that power to choose thought, to shift focus, to shift a thought from I can't to I can, 
from life sucks to actually life isn't that bad. You know, sometimes you have to gradually incrementally work yourself from a negative thought to a positive thought. You can't always jump from I hate myself and my life to my life is rosy. You've got to get there slowly. Maybe life isn't too bad. (laughs) And, you know, that's what I do with my clients. But I call myself a teacher of deliberate creation for the difference makers because I taught a lot of people how to shift focus and work with the law of attraction and be deliberate. But I soon realized that everyone that came to me was a difference maker. They wanted So to, explain the concept of a difference maker, please. They wanted to be a healer. They wanted to be a teacher. They wanted to make a difference in the world. They didn't just want to know how to make money or attract a lover, although I do get a lot of that. But the people that were wanting to make money or attract a lover were usually healers or nurses or psychologists. They're people that know they're here to serve others. So a difference maker is someone that's here to serve others, to serve humanity, to make a difference. There's a lot of people in this world that are here to serve themselves. You know, how can I make money and how can I attract the lover I want and the house I want and the holiday I want and and law of attraction and a lot of teachers that talk about law of attraction speak to those people because that's the majority of the people on our planet they're all self-serving and that's perfect there's nothing wrong with that but then there are a vast group of people that are awakening to the fact that I'm actually not here just for me I'm here to contribute because they're awakening to the reality that we are one And what I do for you, I do for me. Like in that moment where I wanted to scream at my poor little daughter and say, you're stressing me out. And I stopped. (laughs) And instead of screaming, I soothed her because I just looked at her. I thought she's as stressed out as me. And in that moment of serving her and helping her overcome her stressful thinking, I helped myself. And so that recognition that there is no separation between you and me, we are one. They're the difference makers who know that. Wow. Yeah, isn't it amazing how God can take a broken man? Yeah, let him find a fortune, let him ruin it with his own two hands. And he climbs on up the hill on a rock on which he stands. He looks back at the crowd. He looks down at his hands and he says I am a difference maker Oh, I am a difference maker Oh, I am the only one that speaks to him I am the friendliest of friends of God Now, death has played a very pivotal role in your life. You've had a a lot of people close to you who've committed suicide, people who've transitioned at very early ages. Yeah. Talk me through what that has been like. Give me a few um, examples and and what you learned from that. It's really interesting. I remember during my foray into the books, I read about a spiritual teacher who talked about how death had been her partner because she'd seen so much death 
And I mm-hmm. thought at the time, I've only actually seen my mother die at that stage, you know, a few friends or family, but nobody very close. But boy, did that change. They just kept dropping like flies after that. <laughs> like all my best friends when I was young, they all transitioned. You know, one of my best friends, Kate, took her own life. And that conversation with them after they left their body was just, they were my teachers. Like I kept looking for the guru. I kept looking for the person that was going to tell me who I am and why I'm here. So I kept going to gurus everywhere, teachers, psychics, spiritual gurus. And the people that taught me the most were the people that actually transitioned and spoke to me from broader perspective, from the other side. Three of my best girlfriends did that. And, you know, I wrote about that in my book. But I remember the reason I wrote the book was I was sitting on the couch one day thinking, if I'm here to affect change in this world, what's the thing that creates the most suffering? And Mm -hmm. death came. People grieve so much about death. I mean, we still see it on the news. It's just flashing. It's even more on our news at the moment than it has been. You know, these there's bombings and there's terrorist attacks and people are dying left, right and centre and people are mourning and mourning. Well, you come from a country where you've seen a lot of death, right? You've seen a lot, a lot of death. And Mm. so death is inevitable, whether we die by the hands of a terrorist or we die of illness or we, you know, just drop dead of old age, we're all going to take that journey. And yet we suffer so much over it. So I wanted to address the suffering and death because death can be such a gift because who we are as physical beings is not who we are. We're here on holiday, you know, we're here in this time-space reality doing the best we can to navigate the ego, to make a difference, to learn, to evolve, to expand, to know who we are in this environment. But we have connection to our non-physical friends or Some people call them your dead friends or your dead relatives or your spirit guides. Everyone that transitions back to that pure positive energy and has that broader perspective outside time and space, we're inside time and space with a very narrow perspective. So if you Mm. want to speak to a guru or a teacher who has a broader perspective, those loved ones who have died, who you have a relationship with, you have a connection with, they're still there to talk to you from that broader perspective. And so death can be an incredible awakening, enlightening journey. And uh, a lot of the people that died, all of them said one thing to me, all of them. It was Mm -hmm. like there were dozens and they all came to me in dreams or in meditation and they said, you know, I didn't die. I didn't Mm -hmm. die. There's no such thing as death. I didn't die. So when I sat on the couch asking those questions, what do I write about that's going to address the most suffering in the world? My guy said, write about what you know. And I said, I know about death. And they said, and there is one critical thing that has been said to you. There is no such thing as death. You don't die. So in our understanding from our limited viewpoint, when we leave this body, we cease to exist. We die. We Mm. end. And that's a devastating thought, you know, to think that we end. It's devastating when we think we're going to die, but it's even more devastating to think someone we love we're never going to see again. That's a devastating thought. It's a devastating thought to think that someone you love you'll never see again. And it's just not the truth. (laughs) It's just another stressful thought. And the truth is they're there for you. You can see them in your dreams. You can see them in your meditation. If you chill out enough and stop listening to your ego, you can see them 
all the time. They can be with you. So you can continue a relationship with them. It's a different relationship. You can't go over yeah. to class and have a cup of tea, but you can still talk to them. You can still feel their love. Every relationship is an eternal relationship. And when you understand that, when you understand that there is no such thing as death, death ceases to be the tragedy that we all think it is because the tragedy is thinking that something you love has been taken from you. Yes. And it's just not true, as you know, Gertrude, Mm -hmm. because you had the death of your brother and we have a chat with him in non-physical as well. Exactly, exactly. Wow. So in helping people wrap their heads around this concept, you know, I've watched people with terminal illnesses really struggle with letting go of this thing called life. Yeah. If you were to talk to somebody who has a relative, a friend who is in the process of transitioning, what would your best advice be? Well, my best advice you know is, is on both sides, on the both, person who's yeah. suffering Let and the, the people who are observing the suffering. Yeah. I mean, the thing about people who are dying, it's funny, this old death thing, because we, because we have these ideas that this is who we are, this is all that we are, we hang on and we hang on and we experience dreadful suffering because we hang on mm. to something, we hang on to who we think we are, which is this body. And we go through so much pain. I remember being in hospital watching a friend of mine's father die and he was so ill. I think he had AIDS. He was so ill. He looked amazing. He looked like a, he looked dreadful. And I remember sitting next to him in the bed thinking, why are you putting yourself through this suffering? And it is that fear that I will end when I, you know, when this body ends that makes people hang on. And we hang on to them because, because of that thought, my relationship with you ends when you leave this body. And, mm. and none of that is true. And I think that a lot of the, you know, doctors saving lives and saving patients is because of this thought that we end, that we finish when we leave this body. And mm. I spoke to an, a brilliant author who's written some amazing books, Garnet Schulhauser, who woke up when he was in his late 50s, he's in his 60s now. His spirit guide, like, woke him up bang, he's awake and he writes these books that have expanded my mind beyond it. And I said to him, of all the things that your spirit guide has taught you, what's been the most profound thing? And he said that no death is an accident, that every death is a plan that your soul, that your spirit, it's written into the contract called I'm going to go and have a physical life and I'll exit at this point. What he did say is we put in a few different exit dates that we can choose over a period of a lifetime because having a physical life experience compared to that experience, which is bliss and positive energy and love and connection, it's pretty tough down here. You know, we've got the ego to grapple with. We've got stressful thinking to grapple with. And so Mm. your soul kind of puts in a few exit points. If I can't handle it, I'll just come home at this point, you know. (laughs) But he said that no death is an accident. Every death is wanted from source, from your soul's perspective, from your broader perspective. But there are a few different exit points. It makes you think when people get murdered or hit by a car or blown up in a bomb blast or something disastrous happens to them and we think the needlessness of it all, like it could have been prevented why why did that happen 
it makes you think that from your broader perspective, from your soul's perspective, no, it's all fine. It's all cool. I planned it that way. You know, I was, even though I knew this, I'm still ego-based. I'm still a human in a physical body with an ego. I still get lost. You know, we all get lost. As, As much as we have connection to our broader awareness, we still have our ego to navigate, right? So a couple of years ago, my daughter's stepmother died of cancer at 49. So my mother died of cancer at 50 and her mother died of cancer at 49. So we had this thing in common in that we both had mothers who had died young. And so I watched her go through her cancer journey, be tortured by the chemotherapy and be very sick and want to hate life and wanted to get out of life because she was so sick all the time. Mm. And I didn't know until her funeral that her mother had died at 49. And I found out sitting in the funeral because she was my ex-husband's partner. So as much as I loved her, I wasn't that close to her. We didn't sit around and talk about our personal lives. So at her funeral, I found out that she died at 49 of cancer and her mother died at 49 of cancer. And somebody... Mm looked at me and said, oh, yeah, it was very genetic. And I thought, if that's true, I should be dead. You know, I say, I'm fat, I'm 50, and I should be dead because if it's (laughs) genetic, I should be dead because my mother died at 50 of cancer, right? But I started to think it didn't need to happen. It didn't need to happen. She didn't have to. I didn't die. She didn't need to die. So I started to have that egoic resistance that we all go through. And I was shutting the curtains one day, having those thoughts, and she came to me and this grace just descended on me, just this beautiful grace. And I just fell into this bliss and this peace. And she said, don't worry, don't stress for me. It's, it was all planned. It was all perfect. Nothing has gone wrong here. It was all perfect. Oh. So she just from spirit reassured me that even though she died at 49 of cancer and she didn't want to in, from her physical perspective, her soul oh. had made that choice and that nothing had gone wrong. Like there wasn't, it wasn't an accident. It, maybe it could have been prevented, but she made that choice. It was a choice. And it was mm. just the most, it was just that relief of that. It didn't have to happen this way. She could have got better. That struggle with the thinking and that knowing that all is perfect. It happened for a reason. And like my mother's death, you know, it was an awakening for me. And I suspect that she had a contract with her girls that her death would be an awakening for them too, that the people around her would benefit from her transition and they would awaken to who they are. And that's what death does. It, it creates questions and it creates seeking and knowing and answers. And so in that moment I had, because that was only a couple of years ago, I had that remembering that my mother's death was actually a gift and not a tragedy. A tragedy, yes. Mm. Wow. Yeah. The day I died was the best day of my life. The day I died was the best day of my life. Tell my friends and my kids and my wife, everything will be alright. You have had some amazing insights in your life in terms of the life and death experiences that we have. Yeah, and we come back. He's back. Tell me a little bit about that because 
you, you have experienced people coming back in different forms. I know this experience with your cat, which I met a few years ago. <laughs> well, yeah, the cat. I don't know if it's a cat, but, you know, I had a cat for 20 years, a little black cat who transitioned, who died. I was hugging Amma. Amma came out to Australia, who's the hugging mother. She's an amazing guru in the world. And I went to hug her and my little cat transitioned that night. And I started to feel guilty that maybe I didn't pat her enough when she was alive. And I had this dream of seeing her little soul go out of one cat body into another cat body. And I woke up in the morning thinking, Oh, she enjoyed her life enough to come back straight away. You know, I'm thinking linear because from that perspective, time is a very different animal. You know, it's not a linear, but we understand it from this linear perspective. And I thought, well, someone will enjoy her because I had no intention of getting another cat. And I thought, someone will enjoy her. She's back in the body of another kitten. And I saw a black kitten and I thought, that's nice. And then a couple of months later, a black kitten turns up in my garden. <laughs> A new neighbour had come and they have these two black cats and one was a little black kitten. And this little black kitten just hangs out with me the whole time, just the whole time. He's here. He's a, he's a boy. My other cat was a girl. So I'm thinking it's my little cat reincarnated. But it doesn't belong to me. It belongs to the neighbour. It's beautiful. I, I don't have to feed him. <laughs> I just get the cuddles without the responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's, interesting. it's interesting how life is always answering your desires you know we have many desires some we think we can achieve some we think we can't yes and my mother had many desires and I remember as a young girl she wished she had thick hair and she used to brush my hair as a kid and say, you've got dreadful hair just like me. I wish I had thick hair. And I remember this desire because she was torturing me as she was making these wishes, right? And I remember mm -hmm. she had said she wished she'd had bigger breasts and, you know, because she was a showgirl when she was young and she was very beautiful. But she wished she'd had bigger breasts and she didn't, you know, want to have surgery to have them and she wished she'd had better skin because she had fair skin that freckled and she had quite a few skin cancers taken off so she wished she'd had better skin and she wished she had so I remember these things from the cries of my mother that was always wishing as we always do I wish I wish I was taller thinner fatter richer whatever and she's you know she's back in the body of someone and I was told when she was a baby that she was mum it's like mum's back so she's you now an adult now and she has Thick hair like you wouldn't believe, olive skin, huge breasts. <laughs> All those wishes have been fulfilled. <laughs> All her wishes. And I asked her once, you know, she wanted to be a showgirl. She wanted to be on stage and she yes. didn't want to have children. But like many women of her generation, she got married and had children because that was what you were supposed to do. Yes. But I don't think she was ever happy with that. And interestingly enough that this one that I know doesn't want to have a family and have children, she wants to pursue her career on the stage. So it's interesting to see how those desires that we don't fulfil come with us. Yes. Yeah, it's really um, fascinating to see that. So every desire that we'll ever have will be fulfilled in some respect. We can either fulfil them now or if, we're, or if we're too resistant to them, 
even if we think they're impossible, like different hair and different skin and different body, you know, even if we think it's an impossible dream, our dreams will be fulfilled. So that's something that's really calming to know that whatever desire you may have, you can have in whatever time frame. You talk about um, there was a client of yours that you told me about, a young woman who was a musician who passed away very early. Oh, Edo, Edo um, and Joe, yeah. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Tell me a little bit about that story and the insights that you got. There's a lot of people that think, you know, if I get happy and I'm on my purpose here that, you know, I'm going to live a long life and everything's going to be fine. So this beautiful young girl, she was in the corporate world. She was asking questions like I was, seeking why am I here, what am I here to do? And she woke up quite quickly and she met the love of her life, her husband. She met her guru and she realised that she was here as a difference maker to spread love and light. And they started a kirtan band called Ida and Joe and they went around singing and teaching and she was a yoga teacher and they taught consciousness and meditation and they'd sing and they got people singing and they had a really great career and last year she was diagnosed with cancer she was 36 and within seven weeks she had left her body and it looked so tragic to her community especially to her kirtan community because here she was a healthy beautiful young woman who really shouldn't have got sick. She was living the life she was supposed to live. She was, she was meditating. She was teaching yoga. She was doing all the things that you're supposed to do to stay healthy and alive, right? And yet she didn't yeah. stay healthy and alive. So to a community that looks at answers, the, you know, how I stay healthy and alive is to do all these things, to meditate and do yoga and, and be of service to humanity. But again, her soul said nothing has gone wrong here. This was the plan because in her transitioning, all those people that loved her would awaken to new questions, you know, and it would expand their consciousness and especially tragic for her husband because I interviewed him and he said, you know, my life was planned. We had these plans. This is what we were going to do with our life. And then she's taken out of that. And he said to me, it's taught me to just live in the moment, to just be Mm. here now, to just be here and just see what life presents to me. There's still desires born within him, obviously, because we're always desiring. But rather than chasing the dream, allow the dream to come to you because life does answer your questions. And sometimes you have to stop chasing it and let it come to you. So death has so many gifts and for him especially because all their plans were about service to humanity. They have a charity that they set up. They go into homes where mentally disabled people or old people's homes or people that are vulnerable. They teach meditation and they they sing and they teach these beautiful arts to people and bring joy and expansion and enlightenment. So Mm. they were on their dharma. And to think that all that would stop because one person's taken out of the picture. But interestingly enough, after he, you know, he went back to his guru and sort of calmed down, he came back more inspired to be of more service. But yes. that, that journey of, of him as a couple, because 
their band was very much the couple, both of them mm-hmm. were producing the music and they had a large following. But she left a lot of songs that weren't unfinished, they needed to be remastered and mixed, which will be released over the next couple of years. So her singing continues, you know, her music continues. Mm-hmm. She left a legacy. Mm-hmm. Even though she's not in her physical body, we still have her music to listen to and it'll be released over the next, you know, as they finish. So she lives on in many ways. She yes. lives on. But that tragedy of someone who's young and beautiful and seemingly healthy and who's spreading love and light to die so young and so quickly mm-hmm. and of a disease, it was very confusing for a lot of people. But death. She made a choice not to go through chemo and, and what, what what was her reasons for that, do you know? Well, she did actually do the chemo, but when you're diagnosed with a terminal disease, the first thing you want to do is fight it. This is not going to happen. I'm going to get better. This is not going to happen. So there's that resistance in you. Mm-hmm. And that resistance that we have towards anything in life, this shouldn't be like this, that creates our suffering. Any resistance to anything creates suffering. So the resistance to her illness was creating more suffering within her and the Mm. fight to overcome her illness was creating more suffering. So it was a very quick journey. It was seven weeks. But at the end of those seven weeks, during the last two weeks of her life where no treatment had made any dent and the disease Mm. was just aggressively eating her away and the pain was getting more, she stopped the fight and just went into this place of acceptance that this is the choice, this is the journey, this is what's going to happen and it's fine. I'm going to leave my body, you know, and, and that acceptance was such a journey for both of them, for both Edo, for the people around her, for her family and oh, it makes me cry but Edo said that, you know, during her transition, as her soul left her body or her spirit, she expanded into that bliss, that pure positive energy, that place of who we are. And as he was there witnessing that, he went there too. And he was in his body having this experience of returning home, returning to that expanded awareness of unconditional love and bliss. And he said it was one of the most profound insights and experiences he ever had at that moment that she transitioned that he felt that as well that because they were so connected the jewel of my heart may we shine like sun I've got a few stories of people's experiences with death because life is like wearing a shoe that's too tight. (laughs) It's not a great analogy, but when you take it off, you have this release and this, this, you know, like death can be, it's just a sublime experience for anybody. But the more stressed you are in life, the more sublime the experience, the more connected you are to that bliss and that joy in life the less the contrast between the two energies the resistant energy and the expansive energy 
And there are so many people that have had near-death experiences that talk about the love, the love of who we are. It's like it's not even who we are. It's, it's like where we are. It's where we live. It's who we are. They talk about it's like the fabric of existence is love. It's like the energy the air mm. is love. You are love. The air is love. Everything is love. It's that love energy, which is the truth of who we are. And mm. when we're in these bodies and listening to our ego, we are pinched off from that. And awakening is awakening to that love and that expansion and knowing yourself as love. You don't need to get love from anybody. You are love. You mm. don't need to create love. You are love. And so that flow of the love that you are is how you become deliberate in flowing your energy because you, your energy is love. The truth of who you are is love. And so when you stop looking for it outside yourself and give it, you get to feel it as you allow it to be more you. You get to feel the love that you're looking for. Everyone wants anything because they think in the having of it it will feel good. I want to contribute and save the world. I want to create millions of dollars. I want the lover in my life. I want the health in my body. Everything we want, we want because we think in the having of it, we'll get that love that we're looking for. And it's backwards because when you die, you know that there is nothing to get because you are everything you want. So when you give it, you experience it. You experience what you're wanting. And that's that experience I had when my daughter was little. I was wanting to feel better. And when I gave her that, you know, when I calmed her, I got what I was looking for. Yourself. Yeah. So being, wow. being a deliberate creator is about giving what you think you want. No. Absolutely amazing insights, Karen. <laughs> amazing insights you've given us today. Wow. Thank you so much. I have really enjoyed just catching up with you. Every time I talk to you, you reveal these layers and layers of inspiration and knowledge. Um, <laughs> you know, here's the thing. Those questions that we ask, I think that one becomes a teacher because when you teach another, you answer your own questions. When Say you, that again. <laughs> well, when you become the teacher... You know, when you've got the questions like, mm -hmm. who am I? How am I going to get what I want? What do you know? How, what, how, what? When you become the teacher, you become available to the answers that you're looking for. So it's again, instead of looking for it outside yourself, when you give the wisdom to others, you get the you're actually giving it to yourself. Yeah, you can't help it. And that's the beauty of being a teacher is that when you reach out to help others, like every client I have, even this interview, I'm learning from this interview. Like I'm remembering. I wouldn't call it learning. I call my sessions reminders from home because our soul knows this. This mm. information, this wisdom, this knowledge is who we are. So no one teaches you anything. They just remind you of who you are. And when you remind others, you get reminded. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah yeah I'm getting it I'm feeling it you know like and that's the beauty of being a teacher I think people are teachers because you know they want to be reminded they want to remember they want to know who they are so yes yeah oh how amazing give what you want and you'll have it 
We all want love. Just give love. Just give love. One of my favourite songs is MC Yogi. Give love. (laughs) 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 Yeah, that's the message. More love giving, please. Hush, little darling, don't you cry. Every little thing's going to be all right. Don't worry, don't be afraid. Every little thing's going to be okay. Open up your heart, unlock the cage. Turn the key and break the chains. Love will always find a way. If you want love, you got to give love away. That's why you entitled your book A Return to Love. It, it has so many different meanings. Absolutely. Well, you gave me that tagline because you told me that your brother said that to you in spirit, didn't he? He mm-hmm. said, the fastest way back to spirit is death, but you don't have to die to get there. The fastest way back to love is through death, but you don't have to die to mm-hmm. get there. You know, you can have that love while you're in this physical body because that's who you are. You just have to remember that, yeah, the return to love. So you return to love while you're still in your body, but you will return to love when you leave your body too. There will always be a return to love. The choice is do I do it now or do I wait until I die? But, you know, do it now. What are you waiting for? Return to love. Yeah, you can have an exquisitely tantalising life if you can do it now in this physical form. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what we're here to do, right? We're all here to enjoy ourselves. And life is going to throw every aspect of despair at us. It's going to throw every challenge we can imagine. But even in the midst of those challenges, you can return to love. In the very middle of the stress, you can still return to love, which is back to that story of what I experienced inside that stress. It happened to me once again too. I had this mad landlady who was abusing her daughter, who was a cerebral palsy. And I used to hear her abuse her daughter. Anyway, it's a long story. And I took her daughter in because she'd thrown her daughter out. And she called the police on me one day, right, and said that I had abused her. She was very mad. So the injustice looked big because I was being accused of abuse and yet she was the abuser. And so these police showed up on my door one day and they were really angry because they had listened to her story And they were determined to cart me off to jail because before they even met me, they had just believed her story. And she was just a very disconnected, very unhappy woman that was just, you know, reaching out for some sort of help. And by abusing others, she thought she could get it. And I wanted to defend myself with every fibre of my being. I wanted to say, it's not me, it's her. She's been physically and verbally abusing her disabled daughter and I took her daughter. Like I wanted to defend myself. I wanted to tell my story. And my guide said to me, whatever you do, do not defend yourself. Just agree with everything they said. And I'm like, oh, wow. No way. I want, I'm going to defend myself. Anyway, these two police turned up and one, you could feel him. He was palpable. He, he was angry. He wanted to kill me. He wanted to fight someone. He was in that, I'm an officer of the law and I'm going to cart you off to jail. 
It didn't mm. matter what my story was. He was he was convinced, right? And if I had defended myself, he would have taken me. But he said, you've done this and you've done that and you've been accused. And I just looked at them and I said, yes, yes, I'm very sorry, officer. Yes, yes, I won't do it again. Yes, yes. And it was all a lie. But they, without that defence, there was no fight. There was no war. There was no bumping up of energy. There was just flow. And so they calmed down. He calmed down. And they softened. I didn't tell them my story. And they just said, okay, then, well, we're watching you. And if you do it again, don't do it again. And they left, but they left. And I didn't go to jail, right? And I sat in my chair and I was having a chat to my guides. And I'm like, what is that about? And they just showed me what he wanted to do to me. Like they gave me this image of what he wanted to do. And they said, had you resisted them in any way, you would have inflamed the fire and you would have been taken to jail. So it's in those times that you've got to listen to your guidance. You know, it can really help you. There's plenty of times I haven't listened. There's plenty of times I've got myself in trouble because I've not listened to that inner guidance. But, you know, Byron Katie, one of my favourite teachers, says that the defence is the first act of war. So when someone accuses you and you defend yourself, you're now at war because it's two opposing positions. There's resistance there. But when one backs down, there's no resistance. So you, you've just touched on something very, very juicy and pivotal here in terms of how to deal with conflict and confrontation. Mm-hmm. The minute you make someone right, and that's what you did with these police, mm-hmm. you diffused everything. Everything. <laughs> it's not easy to do because the ego wants to defend Somebody said, you're stupid, you're wrong, you've hurt someone. And to someone whose life is about healing people, when someone says to me, I've hurt somebody, every fibre of my being wants to defend myself and say, I'm not here to harm, I'm here to heal. But in making them wrong, I'm now at war. And this is where we go wrong with our society because, you know, we want to make the terrorist wrong, we want to make the politician wrong, we want to make the murderer wrong. We want to fight. We want to fight the cancer. We want to resist what is. And when you resist what is, as Byron says, as Katie says, you know, when you argue with reality, you lose. But only 100% of the time because what is... When you argue with reality, you lose. You lose. But only 100% of the time because Hmm. what is, is... And by arguing with it, by saying this shouldn't be, you keep it there. Like what is, is. If you're sick, you're sick. If you're poor, you're poor. If you're sad, you're sad. What is, is. So as soon as you accept what is, then you have a place to go. Now you've shifted energy because resistance stops. And when you let go, energy moves. So when you accept what is, when you're like, you know what, I'm sad today, I'm sick today, I'm poor today, you know, this is, this is what is, energy moves. That's the first step in being a deliberate creator to move forward when you stop resisting what is. And the ego wants to fight you on this, I tell you. <laughs> the ego wants to scream and yell. <laughs> wow. Can you love It's that? almost like... Um... And acceptance. Radical acceptance. It, is, it, is, it just is what it is. And 
you're not pushing against it because that's where a lot of our strife comes from. We, we push against what we don't want. Am I correct? Yeah, that's where all our strife comes from. That's where all our suffering comes from, is that pushing against what is. I mean, the Buddhists have said that desire is suffering. And then teachers like Abraham Hicks and, and law of attraction teachers like The Secret say, go ahead and desire, desire all you want because your desires create your reality. So it looks like there is two conflicting teachings here. Mm -hmm. because the Buddha says desire creates suffering because you say I want and I can't have like I want my lover to come back or my dead you know mother to come back and I can't mm. have that so that desire is causing my suffering yes but in fact what causes suffering is believing a stressful thought so believing that you can't have what you want because when you have a desire and you know that you can have it that's the best feeling in the world hmm. so desire doesn't cause suffering resistance causes suffering resistance to what is causes suffering and a lot of people come to me as a teacher and as a reader as a psychic and they want to contact their dead relatives because the suffering is I can't speak to them again. I can't have a relationship again. And the truth is you can. But while you're in your suffering of I can't and I wish you didn't die and I wish you'd come back in that resistance, you don't have access to the energy of who they are because they're bliss. They're unconditional love. They've returned to pure positive energy. So while you're believing your stressful thoughts of I've lost someone I love, Mm -hmm. You don't have vibrational access to their energy. And so you get to be right. You get to have that connection to them. I've lost someone I love. Life says while you're believing that thought, you will be right. But when you say I haven't lost somebody I love, they're still with me and I'm happy that they're happy, that they're in bliss. You know, when you have that radical acceptance that all is perfect now, you're in a vibration where you can have very open, clear communication with your loved ones who are no longer in physical form but are in a non-physical form. In they've returned home. They've returned to love. You have to find the love before you can. That's your connection to them. And this yes. is why grief cuts you off from your loved ones. They're standing yeah. right next to you and they're saying, I'm here. I'm here, don't be sad, I'm here. But in your grief, you can't feel them. You can't, feel you can't them. hear mm. them. You can't see them. And that's why a lot of people who are non-physically focused, who are, you know, returned to love, returned home, that's why they contact you in your dreams because it, when you're asleep, you're less resistant. You're more in a more accepting place. So a lot of people dream about their loved ones that have passed. Mm -hmm. And they always give them loving messages like, please don't be sad for me. I'm fine. <laughs> like all my mm. friends said to me, I'm not dead, you know. I'm not dead. <laughs> I'm not, I didn't die, you know. I didn't die. I'm like, yes, you did. I had an argument with one of my girlfriends, Nikki. She was born thalidomide affected. So she was born in the 60s with the drug that called thalidomide. Do you remember it? It was a drug that was given to pregnant mothers for morning sickness and a lot of babies right. were born very deformed. So she had no thumbs. She had some deformities, but most of her deformities were internal. She was very sick all her life. So she transitioned okay. at 40 
And I had a dream. I was sitting next to her on a couch talking about life as you do with your girlfriends. And then I looked at her and I said, hang on, what are you doing here? You're dead. <laughs> she said, no, I'm not. I said, you are, I know. You're dead. You're dead. She said, no, I'm not. No, no. I said, oh, you died. I went to your funeral. I remember. I sat next to your sister. I cried. I know you're dead. And she's like, I'm not dead, Karen. I'm not dead. Anyway, we had this banter in my dream. And it was hilarious because we used to argue a lot in life. So we were like, we were kind of like a married couple. We, you know, we were friends from babies. Our parents were friends. And we're having the same argument in my dream that we used to have in life. You, she said yes, I said no. And the next morning I had her all in my presence. So I rang up a mutual friend and said, hi, how are you? And she goes, oh, hi. She said, you know, the strangest thing, I had a dream about Nikki last night. I said, really? I said, what'd she say? She said, she came to tell me she didn't die. <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> so wow. it was so funny. She was contacting both of us in our dream state and just reminding us, you know, I didn't die. There's no such thing as death. It's death. Which is one of the so stories. The door is on our side. They cannot come through to us without our permission. That's right. And that's what a lot of people forget when they do try and communicate with their loved ones. That's right. You have to be in the vibration. It's like a radio station. You're like they're tuned into a vibration like a station. A frequency. A frequency, yeah. exactly. And when you're believing your stressful thoughts, you're a completely different frequency. You're static. And when yeah. you move your energy, when you move your vibration, when you shift your thinking to a more, to a better feeling, you tune into their station. And, you know, you can have a thought of them and an intention to contact them and then raise your vibration and bang, you've tuned into their station and you've got that communication. And this is mm. something that I wanted to write about because you don't have to be John Edwards to be able to talk. To get access, man. yes. All you need is an intention, a desire, and then to find that place of allowing, so to find the vibration. And that's deliberate creation across the whole spectrum. So whether you mm. want money in your bank account, to talk to your dead relatives, to have the life that you want, all you need is an intention, a, a desire, and then to find the frequency, to find the feeling of it, to find the vibration of it. You know, Esther Hicks talks about the three-step process. I think it was in The Secret too. It mm. is dream or desire, orchestrate the details, and then I think in The Secret it says dream, receive, believe. And she says, ask, orchestrate, and allow. So it is that asking, I want, and the orchestration is up to life. Life orchestrates, law of attraction orchestrates. You know, people come into your life, beautiful synchronicities happen, life orchestrates. That's like 300 billion chemical reactions are happening in any, in any nanosecond in our mm. bodies. There's an orchestration of life that is beyond our, our knowing that you know, life or God is or law of attraction is sorting out. But how to get what we want, that third step, that belief, that trust, that receive, that allowing, that's the step, that finding the vibration, finding the peace within, finding the love, that's the alignment of energy. That's what creates what you've asked for. And that's how you become a deliberate creator is to find that vibration, to find mm -hmm. frequency. 
Mm-hmm. Wow. So anyone can talk to their dead relatives. All they have to do is to follow those principles of life. Ask yes. and allow. And you just have to relax yourself into yeah. it. Chill out. Pat the cat. Mm. <laughs> have a laugh with a girlfriend. <laughs> talk about sex. <laughs> have a laugh. I think, I think as human beings we do take life too seriously, don't we? Promised land is in the palm of our hands, not confined by the lines, drawn in the sand, buried in flesh, hidden in bone. The kingdom of heaven is embedded in the soul. In order to return and become whole, we must be humble, surrender, ego, let go of the future and the past. Feel the light that shines right through the mouth. Illuminate the path, draw the mind back. Illuminate the path, gotta draw the mind back. Illuminate the path. Draw the mind back It's hidden in this moment Very right where you are Life should be playful Life should be joyful Life should be fun And you don't lose your sense of humour When you die either I mean my guides have the best sense of humour And they you know, they laugh at me most of the time. They say, oh, no, we're not laughing at you. We're laughing with you. <laughs> One of the times I remember during, my, during the time I was running the academy and I was looking for the guru to tell me why I'm here on earth, you know, like what my, what's my life purpose? The all-seeing, all-knowing guru who can see your blueprint, who can see your Akashic records, you know, who can see your life plan played out and can tell you step-by-step step who you are and why you're here. I was so wanting that. I went to see some Indian guru that was miles away in the sweltering heat and I had this hilarious experience. He was asking me these inane questions, trying to sell me worry beads, wanted me to sing in Sanskrit and I'm like, what part of me looks like I can sing in Sanskrit? Anyway, and I was driving home through the sweltering heat. I don't think I had air conditioning in my car at the time and I had this image of my guides, right, rolling around holding their bellies they were laughing so hard it was like their <laughs> stomachs were hurting they were rolling around laughing and I'm going <laughs> what is so funny <laughs> like they were laughing at me because I had done <laughs> I'd done so much effort to go out and see this guru <laughs> they oh. hilarious and they said to us they said to me oh Karen god they said, we told you the guru is within. Stop seeking outside yourself. Yeah. We're always <laughs> looking for answers outside. Yeah. We are constantly looking outside of ourselves for what we already know. Exactly. Yeah. And what we already have. You yes. know, we're looking, like if I get that contract signed, if I get that job, if I get that new house, if I get that new car, if I get that new life, then I will have the happiness. Yes. We have the happiness inside us. It's already there. Be the happiness. And with your happiness, you have mastered life and you can paint on the canvas of life anything you want. You can Mm. paint the success. You can paint the, you know, save the world. You can paint anything you want, but you do it with your happiness. That's your brush stroke. They're your paint brushes. They're your paints. Your happiness is your power. Your happiness oh, is that place of allowing, yeah. <laughs> Which is what we forget when we're believing our stressful thoughts. So yes. We get sucked into the dramas. Mm. But you told me a story recently of 
believing your stressful thoughts and then someone came over you and cheered you up and then like the sun came out again it can happen in an instant you know and it yeah. doesn't always have to be someone outside of ourselves that cheers us up you know when we're believing those stressful thoughts the first step to get out of it is to love what is is to say it already exists this is but you know like when you're thinking i've got so much work to do and i don't think i can do all this and i'm so stressed and i'm so overwhelmed you know, the way to get out of that is to say, it's all perfect. It is what it is. Mm-hmm. Like it's just Again, going back to just acceptance of what is. Radical acceptance, yeah. 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 Oh, my goodness, Karen, this has been exquisite. <laughs> 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 insights are absolutely amazing. They're in every book that talks about deliberate creation or law of attraction or spiritual awareness i just put them in my words you know we're all teaching the same thing get true we're all mm. every spiritual teacher is saying the same thing esther hicks has been saying it for 30 years the yeah. same thing you know the message is get happy <laughs> and you can say it in a million different ways but we all receive the message differently. We all remember yeah. it differently. And that's the beauty of many voices. And that's why as a teacher, I interview others. You know, you're a teacher, you interview others because we need many voices to remember. We need to share our stories because as we share our stories, we share the love that we are. We share our insights. We share that remembering. This is how I remembered who I was. And when you listen to someone's story, you go, ah, yes, Mm. I remember now too. And it's just the best thing is sharing our stories. It's the best thing. Yeah. Yeah, And just that awakening. Yeah. Awakening. Oh, wow. Karen, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This is going to be fun to write and transcribe and just put together all these beautiful nuggets. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. We really got to be caught up and we talked for a while. Did you see that? It's almost two hours. No way, is it? Thanks so much for joining me for another show accentuating the positive here on the home of Conscious Music, Soul Traveller Radio. Remember to support Conscious Music, Consciousness. Go to Soul Traveller Radio on Facebook and accentuate the positive radio with Karen Swain on Facebook. Check out my website, karenswain.com, for any readings and teachings available about spiritual, deliberate creation for the change makers, difference makers and disruptors. Catch you next time. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. It's all about